0: Today's sermon is taken from Mark 5, verse 1 to 20. I would like to invite everyone to um, read the Word of God with me. Jesus heals a man with a demon. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Jerusalem. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they met him out of tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tomb and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What to do, do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave the permission, and the unclean spirit came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and the people came to see what it was that had happened and they came to jesus and saw the demon possessed man the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind and they were afraid And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Praise be to God. You guys may be seated. Let me tell you a funny thing. Um, Yesterday, I was at a wedding, right? And actually, the bride and groom is here, guys. Awesome. Awesome. But the funny thing about that wedding is um, not a single person wear a mask in that wedding. And today we're in church and every single person wear a mask. It just puzzled me, right? Why? Why? But it's okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm cool with that. But just that you know, it's too late, guys. Because if you were in the party yesterday and something happened, you guys are doomed today, right? So make sure um, my brother, Edric, told me, Yossi and everybody else, do not take antigen tests this morning If you want to take an antigen test, do it tomorrow, Otherwise, we might not have a service today. Now, if this is your first time coming to church, or if this is your first time checking out our church, and you look at the sermon title, and you're confused, it's not your fault, okay? Because you're like, king of the demons? Wait, I thought this is a Christian church? I mean, do I end up in a wrong church? Is this a satanic church? I promise you, it's going to make sense at the end of the sermon, Okay? So let me start with a great quote from C.S. Lewis. Okay, this is what he said. There are two equal and opposite errors into which Aries can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased in, by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. So I think Lewis is spot on because this is what he said, right? Basically, there are two fatal mistakes when we think about the devil. Some people like to think that there's demons under every rock. Okay? They blame the devil for everything. Like for example, let's say a husband was tempted to cheat on his wife with a girl he met on the bar. And he went through with it. And when he got caught, you know what he say? It wasn't me. The devil made me do it. You guys said that before, right? So they blame the devil for everything. So they he refused to take responsibility. But then also in my sermon preparation, and I'm not kidding, guys, in my sermon preparation, I heard that there's a church that has deliverance services where the demon of binge shopping is cast out of people. So imagine that, like you know, an altar call. I cast out the demons of binge shopping out, 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 out. And if I, probably, if I was there, I'd probably add, and I put the spirit of sight in, 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 right? Because why? Because they, they think that there's a demon under every rock. And the demons are probably watching, having fun and eating popcorn, you know, like this is really good entertainment. So there's this kind of people. And that is the first mistake. Whatever the problem, the solution is always to cast out demons. Now, when I look at your faces, I don't think many of us fall in this category. Most of us fall in the second category. And the second mistake is equally fatal. One of the greatest achievements of Satan is actually to convince us demons do not exist. So now, because we're smart, right? Because we understand science, we try to explain everything to the logic of cause and effect. And we think that's irrational and illogical to believe in the existence of demons. But why? Why is it illogical and irrational to believe in demons... Think about it. We believe that God exists, right? If we believe that God exists, why is it hard to believe that demons actually could exist? So our modern culture actually tends to downplay the existence of demons. And the demons love it. You know why? Because we fall right into their trap. See, the moment that we think they do not exist, we have underestimated our enemy. And that is recipe for defeat. And no wonder many Christians today live a defeated life. Let me give you an example. See, some of you might have bad habits that you try to get rid of. I mean, you tried your best to get rid of these bad habits, and you continue to do it even though you do not want to do it. I mean, have you had that tension inside of you? And before too long, what happens is your life becomes out of control, and then you try to go to therapy. And your therapist explain, okay, this is what is wrong with you. And they're great at it. I mean, therapists are excellent at pointing out what is wrong with you. But you know what's their problem? They can't help you to get out of it. And then you're stuck, right? And it's not because you lack willpower. Do you know why you're stuck with that habit? Let me tell you why. Because the demons have you in change. And there's nothing you can do to break that change. So if you try to deal with those bad habits simply on willpower, let me tell you, you are bound to fail. Because there's a limitation to that. Your enemy has blinded you from seeing the truth. So here's the bad news, and here's the good news. The bad news is there's a wicked supernatural force at work that is far stronger than us. The good news is Jesus can break the chains of evil and set us free. Okay, and that's the point of our passage for today. So if you remember what happened last week, remember how Jesus and the disciples just experienced violent storm at the sea, and Jesus still the storm by his word. And now Jesus got to the other side of the sea and he's about to meet a man with a violent storm inside of him. And this passage is the longest and most detailed account of exorcism in the whole Bible. And it tells us that there is one person who has power and authority over chaos. And just as Jesus overcome chaos of the storm in the sea, Jesus overcome the chaos of demons of hell in a person. And the purpose of this passage is not just to leave us struck at God's power, oh no, but for us to consider how much the Lord has done for us, okay? I have four point to my sermon, so it's slightly longer than last week. Fallen condition, deliverance, reversal, and the wonder. Let's look at the first one, fallen condition, verse 1 to 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the garrisons. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat... Immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountain, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stone." Now we're not exactly sure where Garison is, right? We, we're not sure. But one thing that we do know, that Gerizim is actually a Gentile area. So when Jesus got to this place, the moment that he steps out, he's greeted by strange men. And look at the description of this man. First, it says he has unclean spirit. What does that mean? That means this person is demon possessed. He has demon living inside of him. Second, this person lives among the tomb. Now, if we know someone who lives among the tomb, we naturally avoid that person, right? We think that person is cuckoo, right? By the way, live among the tomb, not around the tomb, okay? So, Nofi, wherever you are, you're safe, okay? (laughs) But living, this is living among the tomb, not around the tomb. But even if it's bad for us, it's even worse for the Jews. Do you know why? Because if a Jew touch a dead body... He is considered unclean for seven days. So to live among the dead is actually the worst of all possible circumstances of uncleanness from Jewish perspective. And third, this event takes place at a Gentile region. And you guys know the Jews and Gentile they hate one another, and the Gentiles are considered unclean. And fourth, these men live near people who raise pigs. And once again, pigs are unclean to the Jew. So let's put it together. This man has an unclean spirit, live among unclean tombs, in an unclean region, with unclean occupation. With another word, this is a big no-no for any Jews. No Jews would want to come near this person whatsoever. And not only that, but if we look at the description, the man is in a miserable condition. He is demon-possessed, and he cannot be tamed. So what happened is people try to bind him with change, but it does not work because this dude has supernatural strength that no one could subdue. And he yells at people, he screams, he cries, he cuts himself, and he torments others. Basically, he is the worst neighbor you could ever have, right? But contrary to all recent and cultural expectation, Jesus met this man. In fact, if we look at this passage as a whole, it seems that the reason Jesus went to Gethsemane the reason Jesus went to this place, the reason why Jesus asked the disciples to go to the other side is only one reason. Why? Because Jesus wants to meet a man no one wants to meet. I mean, people around him might have given up on him, but Jesus has not given up on him. And let that be good news for all of us. Some of you might feel like your situation right now is hopeless. People have given up on you. Not only people. Maybe you have given up on yourself. But here's the good news. Jesus has not given up on you. He wants to meet you. And tonight might be the night that you will encounter him and he will change your life. But here's the question that we must answer, right? Well, yes. Does demon possession still happen today? Okay. I, myself, I never experienced the kind of demon possession that we see in this text. The closest I came to meeting a demon possessed person was actually a few weeks ago. No kidding. It was the Monday when all trains in Sydney was not running. Remember that that day? I mean, the traffic was extremely bad. I was driving to Mascot, and suddenly, a man in a fan tried to cut into my lane. And like every good driver out there, I did not give in. And he was very upset, and he was very upset. But then the car behind me gave in, so he ended up behind my car, and we were at red light. And he was behind me, and he honked at me for a long time. He cursed at me, and he gave me the wonderful finger. And I responded by rolling down my window and I gave him the hand, not the finger, the hand. So I'm basically, and I I yell out, what is wrong with you, right? I'm like, I'm doing that. And he got even angrier. He told me to get out of my car and fight him. But there's no way I was going to do that. Not because I was a pastor, That's because I peeked at my side mirror, and I was 100% sure he could kick my butt. 100% sure. Yes, I'm a coward, and I'm weak, and I'm proud of that, because Jesus is my strength. But I thought that was it, right? I thought that was the end of the story. But then when the light turned green, this dude quickly switched to the other lane, drove past me, and cut into my lane, and stopped his fan in between two lanes. So now he stopped traffic off both lanes, my lane and the lane next to me, so that Jesse can cast at my face. And he did that for 15 seconds before he eventually drove off. And that's the closest I came to demon-possessed person. Okay. That was crazy. But I know people who met an actual demon-possessed person like the one in our text. I don't have to look far. One of them is my dad. Okay. There was one time in Bali. Well, if you grew up in Bali, then you know. This is a common thing in Bali. Um, there was a demon-possessed person, and my dad went to his place. Okay. And the demonized person, he never met my dad before. But when my dad met him, you know what he say? Oh, it's you, Samuel. Where are Arifin and Frankie? So yes, ladies and gentlemen, my dad was an exorcist, and the demon's knew him you don't want to mess with him but in modern countries like australia the question well does this kind of demon possession still happen well it's not common but let me argue with you that demon possession still happen in a lot more subtle and effective way because today a demonized person can look like an ordinary person they can even be leaders in the church and i'm kidding The truth is there's a cosmic struggle for the heart and soul of every human being. The man with unclean spirit in this story gives us a shocking picture of what happened when Satan is winning. Because here's what the Bible tells us about our condition before Christ. In Ephesians, Paul gives us a very bleak description of people outside of Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3. This is what Paul said. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So do you hear that? So Paul says we were not only dead in our sin, but in fact there's a spirit of evil that once dwelt in us. We were ruled by the kingdom of Satan, and we were by nature the enemies of God. In other words, we were by nature demonized. And that is why the message of the gospel is not, you know, just turn over a new leaf and live a better life. That is not the gospel. Because the message of the gospel is you are chained by the enemy, and there's nothing you can do on your own to break free of the chain. Some of you might argue with me right now, well, but yours I don't see people around me being demonized. I know many non-Christian, and they're fine. They're not demon-possessed. They don't look anything like anyone in the person in this story. But are they? Look at the characteristic of the demonized man one more time. In one sense, uh, this demonized person is very strong, right? Whatever change, he could break free of the change. So he's like the Incredible Hulk. But on the other sense, this man is very weak. He continuously hurts himself and he cannot stop. He is enslaved by what makes him strong. Now, do you see what happened? If you've been reading a lot of comics, or you know, watch a lot of movies with, you know, the horror movie, then you know this. Every time someone make a pact with demon, the demon gives that person power. But that power always comes with a heavy cost. The demon gives extraordinary strength and enslavement at the same time. And then you're thinking, but yours, that's movie. No one today made a pact with a demon. And I will agree differently. I'm convinced many people are making pact with demons without their realizing it. Every time, listen. If we have someone or something else that is more important to our meaning in life than Jesus, if we make anything in this world more important to our existence than Jesus, at that moment, that thing become our master. And that means we have made pact with that thing. I love the way Becky Piper put it. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who acceptant acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. You know what Becky says? Becky says this. You and I, we have to make a pact with someone or something. You have to. There must be something that controls our life. And every one of us has this one thing that we say, if I just have this thing, if I just have this, then my life will be meaningful. Then I know that I'm somebody. And that very thing is the thing that we make pact with. That thing is the true king of our life. That thing gives us strength. At the same time, it rob us of our freedom. If Jesus is not the king of our life, then we have made a pact with demon. We are demonized. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you live for your career. I mean, you might call yourself Christian, but really what drives you, what gives you meaning in life, what actually makes you feel like you're somebody is if you have a successful career. So you made a pact with your career. Here's what happened. On the one hand, that pact makes you have power. You feel powerful because now you'll be more driven than other people. You will work harder than many other people to produce better results. And you will. And you will move up the ladder at work. It empowers you. But on the other hand, it enslaves you. You know why? Because you begin to put your career above everything else. You will have no problem hurting other people on your way up the ladder. You will cut corners. You will put career over relationship, over family. And you will hurt many people whom you love. And you will be tired physically. And so you will keep hurting yourself, but you can't stop. You just can't stop. Now, do you see what happened? Get this. Whenever anything is more important to us than Jesus as our meaning in life, we are no different than a demon possessed person. It's just a matter of degree. But this is what's frightening about it, right? You don't become demon possessed overnight. You don't. Look at verse 3. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Now, the word anymore, that's very crucial. Because the word anymore tells us that it is a gradual thing. It doesn't happen overnight. So when you make pact with the demon, the demon does not come to you and say, make a pact with me. I'll make you very strong. But I'm going to make you a slave. I'm going to give you a successful career. But you are going to ruin your family reputation. And you're going to exploit other people and businesses. And you are going to feel very empty at the end of it. Because if that's the way demons speak to you, I'm confident you say, no, thank you, Voldemort. There's no way I'm going to take that over. Kabakadabra. Boom. Hasta la vista, baby. You guys are smart. There's no way we're going to accept that over. But what happened is, over the time, suddenly we find ourselves among the tomb, cutting ourselves, hurting ourselves, and we can't stop. And we ask the question, how in the world did I end up here? And this is something that the world knows. Breaking bad. If you watch that series, you know. You don't become bad overnight. Gradual. Over the years... At the beginning, you feel like you're powerful, you're somebody. But over the years, you lose more and more power. And before you knew it, you are already enslaved. So the question is, who are we making pact with today? Because we have to make pact with somebody. And let's move on with the story. The deliverance, verse 6 to verse 13. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirit came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, this is very interesting. So, when the demon possessed person meets Jesus, you know what he does? He falls down before Jesus. I mean, Jesus doesn't even have to do anything. Jesus just showed up and the demon trembled at the sight of Jesus. Because why? The demon know exactly who Jesus is. They're not blurred to the identity of Jesus. He said, Jesus, you are the son of the most high God. And then he says to Jesus, Swear by God that you will not torment me. Isn't that interesting? Why does the demon want Jesus to, swore, to swear that he won't torture him? Because all demons know. <laughs> Listen. All demons know that there will come a time where they will be tortured. They know that there will come a time that they will be utterly defeated. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And they live in fear of that day. And they know that day is coming, and they know there's nothing they can do to stop it. So what the demon does, is not trying to stop it, but the demon protests because it's not the time yet. Parents, it's like when your kids try to argue with you, right? It's time to sleep. And they protest, Mom, it's still 9.58 p.m. You say I can stay up until 10 p.m. I still have two more minutes. And this is what the demons say. It's not time yet for you to punish me. I still have two more minutes. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And this is interesting. He said, my name is Legion 4. We are many. So apparently there are many, many demons inside of him. And legion is actually a military term that describes about 6,000 Roman soldiers. And the point is not that there are 6,000 demons inside of this man, but the point is that there's an army of demons that enslaved this person. But here's what's amazing. An army of demons cannot do anything before the presence of Jesus I mean, they don't even try to challenge Jesus. They beg Jesus for mercy not to torture them. Which tells us something amazing about our king. Just as Jesus has authority to calm the wind and the wave at his voice, Jesus has absolute authority over demons. The demons are powerless before Jesus. In fact, they say, can we enter the peaks? So the demons actually has to ask Jesus' permissions to enter the pigs. So my friend, this is who Jesus is. He not only has absolute authority over the storm, Jesus has absolute authority over demons. Jesus is the king of demons. So then Jesus gave permissions and the demon entered the pig and 2,000 pigs jump into the sea and commit suicide. Now, I know what's in your mind right now. Here's the question that you have in your mind right now. What's up with the pigs? Right? So I look at many commentaries to find the answer. And after I read them, my conclusion is, I still don't know what's up with the pigs. Okay? The best one that I read says this. This is cool, but I'm not sure. It says, the pigs live and die for the glory of Christ these 2,000 pigs become famous in history for being used by Jesus to demonstrate Jesus' authority over demons. Yeah, maybe. I'm not convinced. So even though I'm not sure what's up with the pigs, but I do understand that the way we think about pigs and the way these people think about pigs are very different. See, when we read what happened with the pigs, we immediately think, oh, such a poor little piglets. Some of you think about animal rights. If you're more like me, we think, dude, that is a lot of bacon and pork chops. But not them. For the people in the story, what happened with the pigs, they immediately think, look at all that money we lost. Because for them, pigs equal money. Now, I have friends in Surabaya who runs a pig farm, and he told me that to have 10 healthy pigs is actually good enough to run a decent business. And what we have in this story is not 10 pigs, but how many pigs? 2,000 pigs. So this is a big business. And to lose 2,000 pigs is extremely costly. It is an economic catastrophe to the owner. But here's what I want you to get. In the eyes of Jesus, the restoration of one person is far more important than the vast amount of wealth. He's willing to sacrifice 2,000 pigs just to rescue one demonized man. For Jesus, I mean the value between the two, they're not even comparable and I know what even mentioning. For what does it mean to have all the wealth in the world but to lose your soul? Jesus' currency is very different from ours. But I want you to see what happened next. It's beautiful. The reversal. Verse 14 to verse 17. So the news travel fast. You can imagine, right? So the herdsman went back to the city and said, the pigs, the pigs, the pigs. And the town people said, what's happened to the pig? And the herdsman replied, the pig commits mass suicide. And the crazy two men is sane. And people just like, hold on a second. That doesn't make any sense. So they quickly run out to meet Jesus and they see for themselves what has happened. And when they come to Jesus, they are shocked. Because they see the crazy man is now normal. The man that was all over the place, the man that they tried to chain but they cannot, is now sitting down. The man who was always tearing his clothes and walk around naked, now has his clothes on. The man who was always crying out like a madman and cutting himself, now sits down and talking to Jesus. This is a complete reversal of who he was before. What does it teach us? Listen. It tells us a very important lesson. There is no one, there is no one beyond the power of Jesus to restore. I mean, look at me, okay? Eye contact. It does not matter how demonized you are. But that, I mean, it does not matter how deep you are in chain right now. It does not matter what kind of shackle that you have in your life right now. It doesn't matter what sort of pact you made with a demon. There is hope for you. I may not know how bad your situation is, but I know Jesus. Jesus is able to restore a man with many demons at his word. And the same Jesus can restore your life. And here's my question. Eye contact. What is enslaving you right now? Is it porn? Is it sexual addiction? Is it drugs? Is it your family? Is that your career? What is it, the thing that makes you enslaved right now? That you know you feel like you gotta have it, but it actually rob you of your freedom. What is that thing that you've been struggling for years? No one might know, but the good news is. Jesus know, and Jesus come to meet you. My encouragement is this, get help. There are people in this church who are more than happy to help you. There's me, there's Pastor Sam, there's your MC leader, and we will help you to work it out together. Because the goodness of the gospel is this, he wants to set you free. And you do not hear this message by accident. Jesus wants to restore you but I want you to look at the response of the townspeople because it's very interesting. No praise for Jesus, no thank you, no welcoming of the man, but fear. Rather than celebrating the fact that a demon possessed person set free, the people are afraid of Jesus. They're so afraid to finally say, you know, Jesus, why don't you walk away from us? We do not want you. Why? Well, I can think of two different reasons. First, they see what happened to the pigs. Now remember, pigs are a source of income. And they think, if we lost 2,000 pigs for one man, if we lost 2,000 pigs in one afternoon, how much more we will lose if Jesus remained in our city? Because it is clear from the story that the people are more concerned about pigs than men. They are more concerned about financial gain than the salvation of one person. Which bad question for all of us as a church. Listen, church, are we more concerned with two thousand pigs or salvation of one soul? What do we truly value? I mean, do we care about money or do we care about people? Do we use money to spread the gospel to more people, or do we use people to have more fame and have more money? Do we have the eyes of Jesus? Or do we have the eyes of trans people? Because if we have the eyes of Jesus, listen, we can't put a number on the word of individual. Jesus is willing to trade 2,000 pigs for the sake of one soul. Are we willing to make this trade? Now, can you see why people want Jesus to live? Because this is uncomfortable, right? But there's a second reason. I think the second reason why people want Jesus to live is they do not want to acknowledge the change in this man's life. Because to acknowledge that this man's life is changed is to acknowledge the change that they need in their own life. And people are afraid what might Jesus, what Jesus might do in their life. If they let him stay longer, Jesus might actually change them. I know this sounds irrational, but it happens all the time. Isn't that why some of you feel very uncomfortable about that friend of yours who used to be so messy, but now on fire for Jesus? Isn't that why you feel uncomfortable around that person? Because the change in that person actually (laughs) points out the change that you need in your own life. But you don't want to admit it. You might call yourself Christian, but you like to keep your distance from Jesus. Close enough for you to admire him but not close enough for him to change you. Why? Simple reason. Because you're happy with the way you are right now. Because you enjoy that sins that you've been holding on. You don't want to change. At the same time, you know that you can't live without God. That's why you come to church. But at the same time, I don't want to get too near because Jesus might actually ask me and remove this idol from my heart. It sounds irrational, but that's actually happening to many Christians. They just want to be close enough to admire Jesus, but not close enough for Jesus to change them. Am I wrong? That might be the reality for some of us in this place. And the question is, are you more like a man who sits with Jesus? Or are you like the townspeople who wants Jesus to live? But it's the question that we must answer. See, at the beginning of the story, This man was roaming around naked, living among the tomb, crying out in agony, hurting himself, and he was crazy. But after he met Jesus, he's sitting, he's clothed, and he's in right mind. The question is, what caused this man to be restored? What is the cause of this reversal? And here's the answer. The cause of this reversal is a greater reversal. Because if we fast forward to the end of the book of Mark, we are going to see Jesus and this man exchange places. Here's what happened at at the end of the book of Mark. At the end of the book of Mark, Jesus is stripped naked. Jesus is crying out. Jesus is bleeding. And Jesus is driven into the tomb. This is the cause of this man's reversal. And this is the cost of you and my reversal. Because we, all of us, we were once bound by sin. We are the enemies of God. We are in shackles. But in order to set us free, here's what happened. Jesus must took our place. Jesus must become sin. And because he became sin, he took on the right of God that belonged to us. And because of that, there's a great reversal that happened to you and me. Here's what happened. We who were dead in our sin and now alive in Jesus. We who were naked in our shame and guilt, we are now clothed in Jesus' perfect righteousness. We who were enemies of God are now called children of God. We who lost our mind and rejected Jesus are now in our right mind and we know and we love Jesus. Now, do you see what happened? when we see the cause of our reversal, when we see Jesus willing to be naked and driven in the tomb for us, this is what set us free from the bondage of sin. This is the power that finally liberates us from every master that enslaves us. Because if you see the cross of Jesus Christ, this is what you see. You know how much I love you. You know how much you word to Him. You word the cross to Him. So now when you look at your career, when you cut your boyfriend, when you look at everything else, you don't have to find your value from that thing anymore. You don't have to look for that thing to give you validation anymore because you know your value to Jesus. We are worth the cross to Jesus. It is seeing the infinite cost that Jesus paid to set us free from the bondage of sin that set us free from bondage. So do you want to be free of your bondage today? Do you want to be freed of your love of your career? Do you want to be free of your love of porn? Do you want to be freed of your love of sexual addiction, whatever drugs, whatever issue that shackles you? Here's the good news. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you do, you'll finally find the one thing that finally answers the longing of your heart. And now, you can enjoy all the good things without having that thing master you. Now, career is just Career. Family is just family. Because why? Because your heart's no longer drawn to it. You do not need to make pact with them because Jesus has made pact with you. Jesus has made you his. That is the goodness of the gospel. But look at what happened next. And my last point, the wonder. Verse 18 to 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demon begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him but said to him, "Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you." And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him, and everyone muffled. So unlike the townspeople who do not want to have anything to do with Jesus, This former demonized man cannot have enough of Jesus. So when Jesus is leaving, this man begs, Jesus, Jesus, can I come with you? Jesus, Jesus, can I come with you? And the weird thing is for the very first time in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says no to someone who wants to follow him. Okay? And it's not as if Jesus did not want him. No, 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 no. It's not as if Jesus, you know, have given up on this person. Oh, no. But what Jesus says to him is this, Dude, you can't come with me because I have something better in mind for you. I want you to go back to where you came from, and I want you to tell them what I have done for you. Tell them how I had mercy on you. Man, this is beautiful. Get this. The townspeople rejected Jesus, but Jesus did not give up on them. Jesus sent the former demoniac to be his messengers to proclaim the gospel. The townspeople might not want Jesus, but Jesus wants them. And now, these former demoniac become the first Gentile missionary sent by Jesus to the Gentile. And look at verse 20. And we we will end in this verse. Staggering. And he went away and, and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, How much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marvel. Now, this is one of my desires as your pastor, right? We want to be a church that grows wide with the gospel. Not only a church that grows deep in the gospel, but we want to take the gospel out to everyone around us. And according to Jesus, listen, we do not need a course on evangelism to get started as an evangelist. We do not need to read 10 books on how to share the gospel to share the gospel with other people. All we need is to meet Jesus because anyone who has met Jesus has a wonderful story to tell. The detail's always different, but the story is the same. Now, I want you to imagine this former demoniac with me. As he makes his way home, probably he has family, right? His sons look at the window and say, wait a minute. Is that? Can that be? I mean, that looks like, mommy, 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 come here. Daddy is here. And the mom replied, lock the door, hide, quick. Pretend you don't see him because daddy is not in his right mind. But mommy, something is different. Daddy is wearing clothes. Daddy is, has got a haircut. Daddy shaved. And daddy looks normal. So the wife and the son open the door. Run to meet the man. Hug him. And she says, what happened to you? And everyone in the city, everyone in the town step out to see the man. And they recognize this is the same man who was demon possessed. And they ask him, how did this happen? How are you so different? And you want know what the man say? Let me tell you a story. I met a man. I met a man who is far stronger than the many demons inside of me. I met a man who set me free from my bondage. He loved me. He had mercy on me. And he made me a new person. I met Jesus. And everyone marveled at what happened. So church, do you want us to be a church that grows white with the gospel? Do you want to see our city being transformed with the gospel? Do you want everyone around us to marvel at the glory of Jesus? It starts with simply this, for us to begin to tell people what Jesus has done for us. Every one of us, we have a story, and the story goes like this. Listen. I thought I was a good person. I thought I had my life under control. But the truth is I was dead in my sin. I lived for my own ego. I lived for myself and I was under the slavery of sin. And I cannot do anything to escape from it. I was lost. I was in chain. But let me tell you the good news. I met Jesus. He loved me. He was merciful to me. He forgave me. He restored me. And now I am free. And if Jesus can do this for me, he can also do the same to you. Church, this is my story. This is your story. Praise him, my Savior, all the day long. And this is what we're called to do. Let the wonder of the gospel shines bright to everyone around us. So let's go out there and share what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for in our weakness, when we were your enemies, you died for us. And not only you die for us, you set us free from our chains. You set us free from the bondage of sin. And God, if there's any of us in this place, we, we might be a church at tender, Lord. Coming to church might be something that we do every single Sunday. But in realities, we are in chain. We are in bondage. And we try everything that we can to set, to break free from this addiction, from this master that enslaves us, but we cannot. Today I pray, today I pray, Lord, that the gospel begin to restore them. So I don't know what kind of bondage, what kind of shackles that you're in right now, but I know our Savior. He's stronger than the strongest chain. There's nothing. There's no one that beyond restore. So I do want to encourage you if there's any of you in this place that you've been in bondage for years, maybe no one's know about it. Maybe it's been hidden. Maybe you keep it hidden so well because you have a reputation to keep because maybe you're a pastor. Maybe you're a leader. Maybe you're an MC leader. Maybe you are minister in church and you don't want people to know your shackle but the f- truth is you are in chain. My prayer for you today is get out. Don't be afraid to admit it because when you admit it, when you finally get out of that chamber, when you finally get out of that closet, the grace of Jesus is more than powerful enough to heal you and restore you. So what is it? What step that you need to take tonight on the next coming days to be free of your change? to be reminded of the truth of the gospel. Holy Spirit, I ask that you strengthen them. I ask that you give them the courage and the boldness to take that necessary step so that that one day, Lord, we'll be able to declare to people around us, see what the Lord has done for us. And may the wonder of the gospel shine bright in control. And we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.